All right, tonight we have two goals. Goal number one is to kind of finish up a summary. If, well, if, you, if you've been listening this week uh, for the Bible Study Exercise podcast, we have been uh, working on the book of Amos. Uh, we, all start, we started the uh, whole study by creating a Bible study method that we're calling the Comprehensive Book Bible Study Method, which is a combination of four other Bible study methods. The background method, the survey method, the chapter verse-by-verse analysis, and the synthesis method all put together as one method, all right? And we're, and we're, after I taught all of the methods, then I said the first book we're going to use this method on is the book of Amos. So the first thing we had to do was the book background method. I'm not going to go back and review all of it. But today, for those who've been participating, who listen online, uh, they have been turning in their completed uh, background method. Most importantly, the last step is the summary, to summarize everything we know about the background to the book of Amos. If you think of it this way, if you look at your table of contents in your Bible, you'll see a list of books. If you don't think of those as books, if you think of those in a sense as portals that you step in and they transport you to a different place, a different time, a different culture, a different language, a different everything. Now, what we typically do in the American church is we open the Bible and we just step into the pages and we basically say, it's all about me. And we forget the people, we forget the culture, we forget the language, we forget everything. Which then leads to really, 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 really bad interpretations and applications because we just think it's about us, which that is not the case. So what's required, now this happens in the military, um, before we get deployed, we usually have a briefing that gives us some basic information about the country we're going to, right? Weather, climate, uh, medical issues, things that we have to watch out for. So the way we do this in Bible study is before we, in a sense, step into the portal to be transported to the book of Amos, we need to know everything about the background so that when we get there, we have some clue of where we are and what's going on. And that's the book background method, okay? So we're just going to do a very, 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 very quick <laughs> summary of the background of Amos. And then the, the real goal tonight is to start what's called the book survey method by doing what's known as reading number two of the book survey method. And we're going to do that together, which will be very interesting to see how that works in a live setting with people present. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. So let's, if you have a Bible dictionary, you can pull that out. That's great. That's fine. You can just turn to page 49 in the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. And we're just going to get some basic information. I'm going to go as quickly as I can through this, all right? If, uh, for those who've already been working on it, this will just be trying to just trying to point out some of the highlights, some of the, the major things that we need here, all right? So the book of Amos. Everybody, re- everybody there? It's actually page 50. I apologize. Page 49 is actually uh, the background to the person named Amos, but that's okay, which wouldn't be wrong to, to look at. But for our purposes tonight, because we have to do this like in five minutes, all right? We got to do the background summary in like five minutes, okay? Because the other one is what I really want to focus on, all right? So some basic information. Amos, book of. It is what kind of a book? It's a prophetic book, all right? That's very important. Why is that important? Why is that background information important? Because when I step through the portal, I need to realize I just entered into the world of what kind of literary genre? Prophecy. And that means my interpretive skills 
are going to require a lot of hermeneutical understanding in how to deal with prophetic writings because there's a lot of issues dealing with prophecy, okay? So that's, that's clue number one, all right? Number two, what, what else do we have here? It's a prophetic book of the Old Testament noted for its fiery denunciation of the northern kingdom of Israel. Why is that important? Because when I open up the book of Amos, I immediately know it's a prophetic book that deals with the northern kingdom. This tells me when I step into this book that I'm entering in the time of when Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, right? One is north and one is south. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Okay, yeah, good. You know these things, right? All right, this is good, this is good information to know. I immediately realized. Now, it's interesting that he's going to be speaking against whom? The northern kingdom. You'll see why that's interesting in a minute. If you did the background study this week, you already know why that's interesting. That's very interesting because he's not from there. Okay, that's why it's interesting. But all right, here we go. Um, During a time of widespread idolatry or idol worship and indulgent living. All right, so this is very important. So when the book of Amos is a prophetic book that offers fiery condemnation and denunciation against Israel, the northern kingdom. During a time, two issues seems to be the prominent issues. What are they? Idolatry and what does it say? Indulgence. It's a time of great wealth. It's a time of great prosperity. Things seem to be going very well for them. And it's also a time of idolatry. Is there a correlation between those two? Well, there's something we we could discuss, but we don't have time to get in there. The book is named for its author. And who's the author? Amos, very good. And what do we know about Amos? His name means burden bearer. That's important. Why is that important? Because his me- either one, he's going to bring a message that is like a burden. It will be a burden to hear. And in a sense, since he's bringing this message, he himself will be a burden, right? So he's got to carry the burden. And look, it's never easy to go to a, another nation, right? And say, hey guys, I know I'm down from the south, but I need to tell you, Judgment is coming! They have a tendency to say, go back. Correct? All right, no, nobody, likes, nobody likes to hear that. I, I think we can agree with that. All right, Amos, uh, and then we talked about how Amos lives up to his name. All right, then structure of the book, ignore that, because that has nothing to do with background. Right? Jump to authorship and date on page 51. The author of the book was the prophet Amos, since it is clearly identified in the introduction as the words of Amos. What do we know about Amos? Herdsman. Okay, he's a herdsman and uh, or shepherd, and he's from where? Tekoa. Tekoa, a village near Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, we also know he's a gatherer of figs. So he's he taking care of sheep and animals and he gathers figs, all right? So why is that important? He's a laborer. He's just your normal person. In fact, we know this. He's not a son of a prophet, and he's not a prophet. He's just some guy taking care of the animals and gathering figs who gets called. Now, why is, why is this significant? What, 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 could this, what kind of problem could this present? I mean, he's just, who are you? 
And you're not, no one's special. You're not educated. Who are you? Right? So this, this puts him in a very uh, awkward position. Maybe you could say a, a position of disadvantage, maybe, from a human perspective. Yes? Now, it says he's from Tekoa. Uh, let's do this. It says in, the, in Judah, the, the southern kingdom, right? Let's just do this. F- find an entry for Judah. Judah, kingdom of. And look at page 711. I've got to go quick. I've got to go quick. I've got to go quick. All right? got to go quick. Judah kingdom of, everyone see that, page 711? Because in background, you look for things related to geography. That's one of the steps in the book background. Well, we could look up Tekoa, but we already know it's in Judah and the southern kingdom. We know it's not far from Jerusalem, right? So we want a little bit of background to Judah, the, the southern kingdom. So let's just look for some basic information. One of the two nations into which the United Kingdom of Israel was divided following King Solomon's death in 931 B.C. Judah consisted mostly of the tribes of Judah and part of Benjamin, although Simeon apparently was included later. The kingdom extended into the north as far as Bethel. Now this is important. So the southern kingdom goes all the way up. It doesn't include Bethel, but it goes up to where Bethel is. Now, do this. Look up Bethel really quick. Look up Bethel. Look up Bethel. Bethel is found on page 180. This is very, very important. All right? Now, what do we know about Bethel? It's a city of Canaan, right? About 19 kilometers or 12 miles north of Jerusalem. So if this is, if you look at a map, this is the way it works. Here's Tekoa. Right? Everybody see? Here's Tekoa. This is where uh, Amos lives. If you go straight north, guess what's the first thing he runs into? Jerusalem. After he comes to Jerusalem, if he keeps going straight north, guess what he's going to run into? Bethel. Yeah, Bethel or Bethel, depending on how you want to say it, right? Bethel. Now, this is important because there is much thought that that's where he goes to deliver his prophecy. Now, he may also go to the capital of the northern kingdom, which is Samaria. He may go there, but if he's, put it this way, on his way to the northern kingdom, most likely, guess what the first city he's going to run into? into well, no, Jerusalem is the southern kingdom. That's the capital of the southern. He's going to run into Bethel, all right? He's going to run into Bethel. Now, why is that significant? This is super key, all right? Jump, uh, if you're looking at the entry for Bethel, jump over to the next column, right? To the, like, uh, to the paragraph that says this. After the death of Solomon, that's on page 180. Does everybody see that? After the death of Solomon and the division of his, of his kingdom, Jeroboam, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, set up two calves of gold. One of, in, one of them was in Bethel. Now look at this. Thus Bethel became a great center of idolatry and the chief sanctuary of Israel. That's the chief sanctuary. Now remember, what is Amos is a prophetic book written by someone who is called to bring what kind of an, uh, announcement? Of judgment because of what two issues? Idolatry and indulgence. 
Well, guess where he's going to end up? In Bethel. Why would he end up in Bethel? The chief sanctuary. He's going to the headquarters. And what do they have there? A big golden calf. Right? Oh, but this is very interesting. This is very interesting. Look at the next, look at the very next paragraph. The prophets, the prophets Jeremiah and Amos denounced Bethel for its idolatries. Now this is, now pay close attention to this. Hosea, deploring its great wickedness in chapter 10, verse 5 and 15, called Bethel, Bethaven. Bethel means what? Bethel means what? House of God. Bethaven means house of idols. The house of God has become the house of idols. And guess who's going to show up there to denounce it? Amos. Amos is sent there to do that. So, we, so what, how can we summarize this? Amos, a herdsman, sheep keeper, fig gatherer, right? Is commissioned by God to go to the north. And he lives in the south. Is sent to the north to denounce them for their idolatry and their life of indulgence and luxury. And most likely, what at least one of the main places he's going to go, he's going to go where? To Bethel, the house of God, which has become the house of idolatry. And obviously God is not happy about the situation. Now, the, one of the questions I asked everyone this week in the podcast, and some people sent me their, their, their reasons, but I think this is very important to consider as once we get into the book. How does the house of God become the house of idols? Now, not only is this a question to ask in the historical context, but it's the same question that can be asked about, what do we call the church? The house of God. How does the church become the house of, become the house of idols? And then we ourselves are referred to as the temple of God. How does sometimes we, become, who are the temple of God, become a house of idols? How do we move from the house of God to a house of idols? How, what led to their idolatry? What led to it? I don't know if Amos is going to give that away, but it's something to be paying attention to. So that's a very quick summary, right? I could offer that I could give you the political situation in which kings are ruling. We could go, we could go into the fact that fertility cults are operating at this place. Beal worship is happening. There's so much other things, but this is the basic information. Now, that's the book background, right? And you can summarize it however you want, but that's just as quickly as I can for our purposes here. Now, that means, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, well, especially in the northern kingdom, right? And, that, and that's, a good, that, that's a very good thing to say. Why, why, how does the house of God become the house of I, 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 idols? Well, maybe when your political leaders are in charge of your religion, that becomes a major problem, right? Because that's what happens. It's the king who set it up, right? So when, when you allow politics to rule uh, the house of God, uh, corruption occurs. So that could be at least one reason why it ha- happened, all right? So here's what we have to do. Today is the, fir- is the first day that we begin what's called the book survey portion. Now, the book survey portion, I can't go back and reteach all of it, but let's just say this. Step one of the book survey is to read the book, 
Read it, read it, read it, read it. And the first time you read it, you don't do anything. You don't take any notes. You don't look at any commentaries. You don't look at a study Bible. You just read it, okay? You try to read it in one sitting. You try to read it through rapidly. You read it without referring to commentaries. You read it without even paying attention to chapter divisions. You just read it. Obviously, we're not going to do that right here. But the second time you read the book, the second time is where you read through the book with a notebook doing what we call an observational exercise. All right. That's what we're going to try to accomplish tonight. And, and I already took way too much time, but that's okay. Here we go. So here's what we're going to do. Go ahead and turn to the book of Amos. Now, I know this is not what you typically do in church, but we don't do anything the way you're supposed to. That's okay. All right. How many chapters is contained in the book of Amos? There are nine chapters, right? Okay, there's no way we're going to make it through nine, but we're going to try. We're going to go as fast as we can. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start reading through it. I may try to ask, I'm going to try my best to ask observational questions. So let me, let me make sure we understand this, all right? This is very important. What's the di- I want you to tell me, what's the difference between observation and interpretation. Observation, you're only acknowledging what's there. You're only acknowledging, well, I don't understand that, or what, what could that be? You're just, you're looking, when you're going through this, you're looking for those things that jump out that you think may be significant, right? For example, I'll just give you, just quickly, because I want to spend more time doing it than explaining it to you, um, for example, uh, as you read through the book, when you're doing your observation, you're looking uh, for maybe what category of book is this? Uh, what, uh, what's your first impressions? What do you feel? Do you see any key words? Do you see a key verse? Do you see something about the style? Do you see something about the main themes? Do you notice anything about the structure? You're ju- we're just looking for the basic thing. Does that make sense? All right. We can't offer interpretation. Remember, there can be no interpretation until there is what? Observate. Man, I wish that rule was actually practiced by Christians, right? Because people always want to disagree, but what do they never want to produce? All of their evidence of their work, right? Because if they did, then maybe we we wouldn't be disagreeing, but that's a whole different subject, all right? So here we go, Book of Amos. We're going to do an observational reading. Everybody ready? Here we go. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. All right, now if you're just doing an observational exercise on that verse, any significant things jump out here? Well, well, we get the author, Right? We get his occupation. We get where he's from. Now, we already got all of that information in the background, so we wouldn't have to do much with it here. All right? We get get a time, we kind of get a time period, right? Days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, if we know something about that earthquake, this would specifically tell us when? But what best we can do, though, is figure out how, when these kings reign, make sure they're both reigning, because they're going to be reigning at the same time, and know that Amos is right there at that, in the, in, in, somewhere in the middle of that. 
We did all of that in the background portion. So for this, for those listening online who have participated, you really don't need to do anything here. Nothing of major significance jumps out because we've already found all of this in our background study. All right? Now look at verse 2. Here we go. And he said, who said? Amos. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the habitation of the shepherd shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. Stop right here. All right. What observations? Don't, don't give me an interpretation. Anything jump out at you right here? Oh, okay, you're going in a good direction here. Okay. Well, just go with the idea. I think where you're, I don't know if this is the direction you're going, but the idea that the Lord roars. Okay, just keep that. What, do you see anything else in there? You got this idea the Lord is roaring. Okay. All right. Something else in this verse. The roaring is the first thing I would observe. And then one other thing you should see. Oh, the top of Carmel shall wither. Did the NIV use wither? Okay, withers. All right. Now, both of those are what kind of language? Could we say possibly figurative? Right? Descriptive, right? Because is it gonna, is the top of Carmel gonna wither? Like, what does exactly that mean? Well, what does that mean? Now, we don't need to interpret it right now, but that, what does this possibly start indicating? From an observational standpoint, this is what I write down. This is a warning. Warning, warning, warning. What could be waiting for me? A lot of figurative language. And what happens when you get to the Old Testament and some of these prophets and you have figurative language? What are our options? What are our options with the figurative language? Well, well, one, you go that it's just allegorical of the judgment that's going to happen or the return from Babylon or whatever the case may be, right? That it's just, it's just allegorical, figurative language to describe something that maybe have already happened, Right? Or you say it's literal language. It wasn't fulfilled at that time. So then you have to look for a future literal fulfillment. The figurative language creates a hermeneutical challenge. Right? Okay. If you don't notice that, you will notice it moving on. Like for me, that's right there. I'm just like, uh uh-oh, I got roaring and I got withering. Okay, that's very like, is it an actual roar? No, he's just speaking. Okay. Is it withering? Well, that's our observation here is we're not, we're not to ask that question. That's an interpretive question. Well, like we're trying to answer. That's something you may want to write down to look up later. But for now, we're just like, okay, what's withering here, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, in and, and the next reading, you would start asking more of these. Or, well, at, at a later step, you're going to get more specific. Right now, we're just like, wait, something's going on here. All right, look at the next verse. Thus saith the Lord... For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have therefore threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. This is interesting. What do we have here? 
What, which kind of jumps out here? Well, we have two places that maybe we haven't even considered. Damascus and Gilead. Because my focus and my background was Bethel. So this is interesting that they say Damascus. Okay. All right. So that, that kind of jumps out at me. All right. Please note. Do you see that phrase? At the beginning of the verse? Yeah, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. That's an interesting phrase. Does that kind of jump out at you? How does the NIV translate it? For three, even for four. Why wouldn't you just say four? Does that not seem interesting to anybody? And for three, and for four. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, it's like, hey, th- for three, I mean, I could put four, I could put five, I could put six. That's just kind of an interesting phrase. Right? Oh, oh, it's the phrase, okay, right? Okay, all right. So you would make an observation that you feel that this is a common phrase used in some way, even if the numbers are different, the phrase is used. Okay, so that's a good observation. That's a good observation. So I would just write down, I would just write down, this is what I would write down in my observation. I would just kind of write down possible key phrase with a question mark. I don't know if it's a key phrase, but it's an interesting phrase. It jumps out at me, yes? Next verse. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. Now, okay, now, what would be a good question we would ask right here? Literal fire? Or is it figurative? Right? Because we already saw roar and wither. Now we got to get us into fire. Is it a literal fire? And then what, what are the places mentioned? The house of Hazel. Anybody know what that is? No. But you would want to kind of observe, like, where was this fire going? The house of Hazel, what else is described? We should devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. Okay, we got some, I'm observing, I've got some places and I've got some people mentioned that I may not be familiar with, right? Right? So this is giving me some things to, to pay attention to. Now, why is this important? Your observation is now focusing on what? This is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about America. This is about something going on here. And we, we've entered into a place where, and now this is where people can test their background study. Now, immediately, you're like, wait a minute, my background study, did I find any of these? Did I mention Damascus? Did I work on Carmel? Did I, did I focus on? You may immediately realize we missed a bunch of stuff in our background. And that's okay. That's okay. Because at least we have a, a basic idea. All right, what's next? I will break also the bar of Damascus. Okay, stop right here. Guess what observation I've just, I'm getting ready to make. What verse is this? Damascus has been now mentioned how many times? Twice. All right, that's, that's a good observation. Could this be a key place? Guess where I was focused at on my background? I was focused on Bethel. Now, maybe I'm going to turn out that I, I made the right decision, but that's the direction I went. What I, what I guess what I want people online who've been participating to realize, because a lot of people were very like, so did I do my background right? Did I, I don't know. You do, you get as much background information as you can, 
and you move on, guess what you're going to find out as soon as you get into the book? Oh, man, there's a whole lot here maybe we missed. Oh, we got a lot of names and a lot of plays. Oh, and that's a, good, that's a good thing. We're in verse 5, right? All right, start counting. Just start back in one. Count. First, go through and name all the people that are mentioned. Just count them. Amos is mentioned. Uzziah. Jeroboam. Joash. There's four right there. That's in verse one. Okay. The house of Hazel, five. Okay, very good. So what we, we, we don't, may not know. Okay, that's okay. Okay, and is there anything in five? The house of Eden. People of Syria. Okay. Do I? Yeah, probably a play. So, so we got, we've got brought eight people mentioned and five verses. How many places? We got Tekoa. Judah, Israel, Zion, Carmel, Damascus, Gilead. Well, we're over 10, I think. Man, just think how many places and people are mentioned just in five verses. What, now, what does that immediately tell you in your observation? Whoa, I may get a lot of, dis- I may get disoriented without, I may have to spend some time figuring out who all these people and places are, right? And we can't do that now because remember, you're just reading it through making the observation, right? We stopped in which verse? Verse five. I will break also the bar of Damascus, cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon, uh, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Ker, saith the Lord. That's a whole lot of stuff going on right there, is it not? Now, what, 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 observation, what observation would you make from verse 5? What observation would you make? Just an observation, not an interpretation, just an observation. My observation is this may require a lot of backing up and figuring out who these people are and where these places are located. And the reasons why we, we, we don't, no, we're not given any explanation, are we? That's a good question. Well, you know, something, something's going to burn. Something's going to wither. Something's going to be cut off. Right. So I, I think you can say that's a clear observational Thing. Judgment. A lot of people are being judged and a lot of places being judged. I think that's a clear observation. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to continue clearly. All right. All right. Next verse. Thus say the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. Uh-oh. Now, now, remember that observation? I said, is this a key phrase? Uh-oh. We, now the phrase is repeated again. We may have just found the key phrase in the book. Do you think it's the key phrase? I don't know. But we're, okay, it appears that we got something going on here. We got, up here something is going on here. 
Okay. Oh, oh, like, oh, we have a new location as well. All right. So let's read this. Uh, verse six. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captives, whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. Remember you asked, can we say this is judgment? What are we, we're finding judgment on whom? What, in fact, I, this would be my observation. This chapter is primarily focused on the judgment of what? Let, no, let's not bring this in, just from the text. Judgment, we can call it other nations or different places. We may not know all the locations here. We may not know everything. You may know, depending on, because I think one of the places I did tell everyone to study in their background was Damascus. So the people who've participated in the background may have some clue, but I guarantee you there's places here we never even came close to mentioning in our background study which is I, pur- I purposely wanted people to, when they get here, go, wait a minute, I thought we did the background. Even doing the background, you can enter in these books and be lost and confused. Right? There's a, a lot here we don't even... What, you know, what's, what, what's, here's another observation. How is this written? Just like what, what, what kind of style is being written here? It, is the style explanatory or is the style declarative? It's just declaring what's going on. Is it explaining it in any way, shape, or form? No, we don't have no clue, right? Nothing. That's good to note. You can write that down as an observation that the book is written in a style that just says, this is what happened. There's no, there may be a little bit of explanation, but we don't, it's almost written in a way that, that expects what? That the reader knows. We don't have a clue what's going on here, right? If I was to hand out a test right now and say, explain to me what's going on, you'd be like, I don't even know who these people are. I don't know what, I know somebody took someone into captivity, right? Well, I would say basically from verse, uh, so far the whole chapter is judgment on, we'll just call them nations. We don't have to necessarily identify where. That's just an observation. It's judgment, it's nations. I, I think that's the best we can come up with right now. All right, next verse. Verse 7, what do we have? I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Now, again, what, what question should we, I mean, kind of an observational question. Literal fire, figurative fire. Literal fire, figurative fire. Now, here's a question. This is important. Okay, well, no. Uh, just, just from this, all right, now this is important. If we, if, let's say when we go through and we start figuring this out, let's say, just stay with me, that these fires and these judgments, let's say we start determining that they're literal. Later in the book, can we switch to things not being literal? That would be, uh, I call it a, a hermeneutical difficulty, right? In other words, if these things are, they're going to actually be cut off. There's actually, the palaces are going to burn. If that proves to be all literal, however Carmel's going to wither, if it's some, something literal, when we get later into the book, what do we have to kind of go with? A literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three or four, then you have 
Okay, okay. All right, let's, let's not call it poetic. Let's do this. Okay, but, but I see what you're doing. You're noticing a structure and a pattern. All right, that, that's good. That's good. Because that, that's something you do look for in your observation. She's just, she's noticing a structure and a pattern. Okay, do you want to explain what you're seeing? Verse 3. We have the key phrase. All right, so we'll go key phrase. Okay. Verse 5, I will break off or send into captivity. Okay. Verse 6, three or four transgressions. Verse 7, send the fire. Verse 8, cut off, send into captivity. Oh, do you see? Do I see that? Uh, fire? Okay, doesn't have the cut off. All right, so the one thing is the fires are, are clearly symbol, uh, on all of them. So this is how we, let's, let's state it this way. All right, you may want to write this down as a possible, uh, possible structure. Key phrase, judgment described. Right? Agreed? Key phrase, judgment described. Key phrase, judgment described. Key phrase, judgment described. The, and the reason I'm not breaking it down a little bit more because there is some variation in how the judgment is described. If the judgment will follow the same pattern, then we would establish that as a dogmatic pattern. All right? So let's go through that and for everyone to see that. See, that's a good observation. That's the kind of thing you need to look for. All right, so everybody go through this again. Everybody ready? All right, everybody see verse 3? For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, everybody see that? Yes, that's a key phrase, right? Now look exactly what will happen. I will turn away the punishment thereof because they have threshed Gilead with the threshing instruments of iron, but I will send fire into the house of Hazel, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus, cut off the inhabitants from the plain of Avon, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kerr, saith the Lord." Right? So we had the key phrase, and then what's all of that? Judgment. Then look, look what happens in verse 6. For thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive into the whole captive to de- deliver them up to Edom. But I will send fire on the wall of Gaza, which will devour the palaces thereof. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ash, Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from uh, Ashkelon, and I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the, saith the, the Lord God. Then verse eight, 9, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four, there's the key phrase, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole captive captivity to Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send... Fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. The one thing that's consistent is the key phrase and fire. Key phrase and fire. What happens in verse 11? Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did 
pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the place of Basra. Verse 13, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon and for four, I will turn away the punishment thereof. I will not turn the punishment away thereof because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle with a tempest and the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity. He and his princes together, saith the Lord. Wow. Okay, right. Well, let's just stop in one. Okay. So what do we have here? We have, this is what we have. This would be, now, please note, as you're reading through, you're just not, you're just writing out observations. For those listening online who's going to do the study, right? You're just writing your observations. Then at some point, when I get to the end of the chapter, this is at least what I do. A lot of those observations, I'm just going to kind of discard, right? Because now I'm going to try to summarize, and, I know, and you don't have to necessarily do it this way, but I'm going to then try to just grab the main observations, right? So what are my main observations? Amos chapter 1 is a, is a chapter that gives us the author, right? The time. Does it give us anything else uh, does it, in verse 1? That he's got the words of the Lord against Israel? Does it say it towards Israel? Concerning Israel. So we have the, Amos chapter 1 gives us the author, gives us the time, and gives us who? The recipients. Would everyone agree that that's clear observations right there? All right. Then the rest of the chapter is Amos's words of judgment against whom? Let's just call them the nations. Right, right. But for now, we're just, we're, since we just finished one, the nations. And then, uh, but no, here, this is, well, you could put that down. I would put down Amos chapter 2 is Amos's words of judgment against the nations, which is interesting, right? Because he's supposed to be going to Israel, but he starts off with the nations. And then he follows a structure. A key phrase, what's the key phrase? For three transgressions, or for four, right? Okay. And then he, he, then basically he gives the key phrase. He names the nation, right? Hints at the sin, and then gives the judgment. Would you, would that be a fair structure? Key phrase, nation, named, sin, at least described, and judgment declared or judgment pronounced or however you want to say it. Would you say that that's a pretty fair structure? Let's make sure we got that. I want to make everyone, everyone has that. We have first the key phrase, the nations named, the judgment, the, the cause for judgment, and then the judgment described, however you want to work it. Or you can say the judge, sins described and the judgment pronounced, however. But you have at least four parts. Would everyone agree there's four parts? Right. Everybody got that? Those are four parts. Let's go through those again. Number one is the key phrase. Number two is what? Names the nations. Number three? Hints at the sins and to some level and then declares the judgment or describes the judgment. Everybody? That's the structure. Now, what, what should we be looking for when we go into verse two or chapter two? 
is, this, is the structure the same? Or does it change dramatically? As soon as we go to two, what do we see? <laughs> okay, all right. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. All right, that, that doesn't sound pretty, does it? Okay, verse 2. But I will send fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the places of uh, Kirioth, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof. With him saith the Lord. All right? Now, what do we come to? Okay, now we have the same pattern following, right? Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, and have not kept the commandments, and their lies caused them to err, after which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Okay? Yeah, now that, yeah that's his home... Home, home, his, his home. Next, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. They pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drank the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yeah, no fire is named there, which is interesting. Okay, but, but it's a, really it's a list of sins. He doesn't really even name the judgment per se. Yes? Okay. But so far we still have the same pattern basically being followed for the most part, right? It's a little, a little deviation here because he doesn't really name the judgment but we still have the same kind of basic pattern. Now, what happens in the next verse? Yet destroy I, destroyed I like the Amorites before them, whose height was like the heights of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit from above, his roots from beneath. Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. He's still referring to Israel here. Agreed? Because he says, I brought you out of Egypt. All right, so he's still talking about Israel. Led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But you gave the Nazarite wine to drink. You gave the Nazarites wine to drink and command the prophets saying, prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore, the the a flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked. In that day, saith the Lord. So in a, a kind of, he kind of gives the judgment a little bit, Yes? All right, so in a roundabout way, the pattern is still kind of there. Just doesn't have the fire, yes? But still, what does he give? The key phrase describes the who, the sins, and a little bit of the judgment. The same pattern is being followed. So what can we say about chapter 1 and chapter 2? 
Two chapters describing what? Judgment upon the nations, and they follow a fourfold pattern. What's the fourfold pattern? Key phrase, nation named, sins described, judgment pronounced. Or you can say judgments or sins declared and judgment described, however you want to use it. That's two chapters with the exact same pattern. Now, what, at this point, what are you hoping for? Are, are you really? I would hope not for a change, right? Because now this makes, it, this makes it pretty simple, right? Okay, this is easy to interpret. Just figure out who the nation is. See if we can figure out what the, exactly they did and see if we can figure out when the judgment occurred. That's an easy book to interpret. That's, 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 all, we get in, all we basically need is a Bible dictionary, right? Look up each nation and find out what happened. Yes? Do you think it's going to continue? Well, go to chapter 3. What happens in chapter 3? Okay, well, no jumping ahead. But all right, that's it. Okay, all right, but, 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 okay. <laughs> I know, that's fine. All right, here we go. Chapter 3, here we go. Verse 1, everybody ready? Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, this is very interesting. Have you seen a progression all right, go back to chapter one. Who's the first nation that's judged, or first? Damascus, right? Then it goes through all of these nations and places, right? And it ends in chapter two with whom? And then chapter three goes directly to Israel. But what's missing in chapter three? Our key phrase is gone. Now, however, the key phrase has already been used to describe Israel in chapter two, Right? But it almost like, okay, here's the key phrase, and I'm going to judge you now. I cannot say this is the way it worked, right? So stay with me. Someone do this really quick. Look up Damascus. Everybody look up Damascus in the Bible dictionary. Let's just do this. I could be wrong, but let's, let's try this. Let's do this. Now, I know we're cheating a little bit, okay? We're not supposed to be doing this yet, but okay. But just for, for sermon's sake. For those who do the uh, study, don't do what we're doing right now at this point, okay? okay? Okay, yeah, stop listening right now, okay? But I'm just curious here, okay? Okay, let me, hey, are you ready? Okay, that's very interesting that, that he just said that. Okay, but, but stop. Okay. I want to, okay, everyone picture this in your mind. All right, here we go. All right, here's Tekoa, way down here, right? You go straight up, guess what you hit? Jerusalem. You go straight up, guess what you hit? Bethel. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. There's going to be some other cities. You're going to leave Israel. You're going to have to take a hard right, and you're going to have to go through the Amorites, Syria, you're going to keep going and almost you get to the top of the map and guess what you find? Damascus. All right. Does that make sense? Now, does, does it give a location for Damascus? Okay. Northeast of the Sea of Galilee. Okay. 
I mean, it's, it's pretty up there, right? Now, why, this is important. So, just think, just imagine this. I don't know if this is the way it works, but just imagine. Here comes Amos. He walks in, let's say he walks into Bethel, right? Maybe he walks into uh, Samaria. Wh- wherever he walks into, he walks in. He's in the northern kingdom, right? And he sits down and he starts or he stands up. I don't know where he is. He starts pronouncing judgments. Where does he start? Damascus. Now, if you're there in the northern kingdom, Damascus is way up here, everyone, way up here. Are you, is that going to offend you? Probably not. Where's the next place? Go, go back to chapter 1, after Damascus. Gaza, right? Gaza. Now, we can start looking all of these up, but here's what I want you to realize. They're all somewhere else. Right? Hey, uh, yeah, I'd have to look at a, do you have a map there that shows, uh, you see where Damascus is? If, if you, I don't know if you have it on your map. Okay. And then where's Gaza from Damascus? But Damascus, everyone sees Damascus is way up there? Yeah. Yeah, way up there. Yeah, it's like it's way at the top, right? Okay. Everybody see that? All right. Does everybody see that? Okay, yes? All right. Gaza, uh, is anybody know where Gaza is? Okay, think of a map. Here's Judah. Here's the kingdom of Judah. You got to leave Judah. You would hate, I'm just, I'm just, I'm I'm not going east or west. You take a hard left and you leave Judah and you go to Gaza. Right? Does that make sense? You're in Philistia, basically. You're in Philistia. Yeah, you see Gaza way, way the other direction. All right. So in other words, Damascus is way up here. Gaza's way over on the other side in Philistia, the, where the Philistines are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, Damascus, old city, right? What is it? The oldest inhabited city. Oh, and Gaza's an, another old city, okay? But please know, so just think about what's happening here, all right? So he starts preaching, right? Now, what do we have a tendency to do when I'm preaching against other people? Amening, right? Typically, like, I, I usually get more amens when it's not your sin, right? But then ultimately, where does he go? He goes through all the nations, and we get to the end of chapter 2, where does he end with? Israel. And then he starts chapter 3, and guess what? I'm here to talk about who? You guys. I, that, that pattern, that is observational. Now, I looked up some stuff just to try to show you the distance between these places. But that, to me, is fascinating that he circles. He starts with all of these nations and he comes right back to where? You. That's, that's pretty smart in some ways, right? I, I think it is, okay? Well, guess what? We can't do anything there, all right? Now, just look quickly. Starting at just, you can just skim. Chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, what is missing? The key phrase. Right? And Sarah just pointed out something. Everyone look at chapter 3, the first three, uh, first three words. Chapter 4, the first three words. Chapter 5, the first three words. Is it in chapter 6? No. Chapter 6 starts with woe. 
So, it's interesting. The key phrase in chapters 1 through 3, or 1 through 2, yeah, 1 through 2 is what? The key phrase is for three transgressions and for four. And in chapter 3, 4, and 5, what possibly is the key phrase? Hear the word. Now, I don't know if we're going to find a different key phrase, but I just think that that's... Oh, yeah, and if you start... Well, 6 is woe, and then 7 is thus hath the Lord God showed, thus hath the Lord God showed in 8, and then I saw. So, it, it doesn't follow a specific pattern, but something interesting is happening there. So, for our observation, what can we put for chapter 1 and 2? Judgment of the nations. Starts in Damascus, ends where? Israel. And then starting in chapter 3, the focus becomes solely on whom? Israel. Alright? There's a lot there to figure out, but that gets us pretty, that gets us pretty good. Th- those are just an observation, getting us an idea of what's going on. So in our, just doing an observation, we were to discover what? Basic idea of what's happening, and we were able to discover some basic patterns. But we do have some questions about language. Literal, figurative. And we got a lot of nations there that we don't have a clue what's going on. But what do, you, what do you think the takeaway is from a practical standpoint for Israel? If you believe God is that, that God has or will judge these other nations, then you better believe God will also judge you. Now, the question is, that judgment spoken of in the other nations, had it already occurred? Or was it going to occur? That, that, that would be a very important question. Why would that be? Because if it's already occurred, then Israel would be like, oh. I, I, okay, very good. I'm glad you noticed that, right? So, okay, right. So some of it may be future and some of it may be past. So then it may not serve for that picture. I'm, I'm trying to get you to think along those lines. All right. Do we have to stop? Okay, right. The judgments seem all future. The sins are all past. Okay. All right. But it definitely lets them know that, that judgment is coming. Okay. Any other observations? So for those listening this week, you just, you, you, you do your first reading. You're just reading it through. So you can read it one, two, three times without doing any, anything. But the, the next reading you do... Just read it once in one sitting without doing anything. Don't even uh, write anything down. And then your second reading is you just make your observations. Just make your observations. Right? Don't do any interpreting. There's all, you, you get tempted to start trying to interpret it, do you not? That's the thing you've got to fight against. Right? You can't interpret what you haven't observed. All right, let's stop right there. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Book of Amos is so ignored by so many of us. Probably all of us would probably do really bad on a test. I pray that maybe this week and the next couple of weeks as we work on it, we would be motivated even to just read it and to think about it so that we can gain an an understanding of it so that we can correctly interpret it and apply it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...